The Rebel Leadership Podcast, a refreshing take on authentic leadership told through real stories. Let's smash the status quo and change how leaders lead once and for all. Process, operations, two terms that sound so daunting, so boring. But leaders know that successful operations have the power to transform a business and people's lives. Mike Minutillo has been a leader in the auto body collision repair industry for more than 40 years. Now he's retired, but when he was working, he had owned and operated Master Auto Body in Southern Florida. It's a multi-million, three-location auto body business. Master Auto Body was recognized as one of the most efficient, if not the most efficient, collision repair facilities in the entire country by many of his direct repair program partners. He also happens to be my father-in-law. We talk in depth about how implementing Toyota's infamous Lean Six Sigma program completely transformed his business. It tripled his bottom line. Yes, repeat it. It tripled his bottom line and improved the lives of those who worked for and with him forever. And anybody who knows him absolutely adores him, including me. But hey, I might be biased. Listen, reflect, and embrace your next aha moment. When I was a kid, about 18 years old, I was backing out of a driveway and I backed into a friend of mine's car. And I damaged it. And at the time, I didn't have any money to fix it. So what I did was I asked him if he would allow me to try to fix it first. Uh, And I did. Hmm. And I had nowhere to paint the vehicle, so I had to bring it to a body shop to have it painted. And when I got to the body shop, uh, the gentleman came out, looked at the repair, and asked who did the body work. I said, I did. He said, would you like a job? Wow. So that's how I started. Man, your mom must have been upset with you, right? (laughs) (laughs) Just a little. (laughs) Just a little. So that's so interesting. So then from there, it just kind of spiraled until eventually yeah. there was the right opportunity at the right time where you Correct. decided to do it yourself. Correct. When I was about 27, an opportunity came up for me to buy a shop, and I did. And uh, I've basically been a shop owner all that time. So, uh, so now think back to, like, fast forward to when your, your shop is huge and you're doing business right and left and you're closing um, contracts right and left with insurance companies. Talk about the system that is a body shop, like how all of the pieces work together. Well, okay. The first thing basically that happens is, unfortunately, someone gets into an accident. And they come, they visit the shop, they walk into the office, and that's when the process starts. It's an estimating process. We go out, we look at the car, we assess the damage, we give the person as close to a correct estimate as we possibly can without taking the vehicle apart. And that's how it's been for a lot of years. We changed that practice after a while. Hmm. So was it up to you when you started your business? Was it your vision for the process that you put in place? Was it standards of some other body or how does that work? When we started to make the change, which absolutely increased our business 300%. Wow. Yeah. Um, But it was a process that was developed by Toyota. It's called uh, Toyota Sigma 6. Um, And we basically tried to follow their practice. 
It's very involved, and any shop can take it as far as they want. So before we get into that process, was there a situation that occurred that you knew that your current operations weren't working for you? Was it based on the size of the business, or was there a pivot point that made you realize, hey, we need to evolve past this? I always try to improve the business. Um, Before we implemented this process, I would take trips um, to other body shops and find out what they were doing. Um, You know, you keep your ear to the ground, you find out who's being successful. So everything that the shop is doing that you're visiting may not fit in your shop. Right. But you could always take something away. Right. It's kind of like getting inspiration from industries, and especially cross-industry. What I've found to be so successful is like just borrowing other ideas that seem left field, and then you apply them to your business, and it's transformational. Exactly. Exactly. And I was always on that path. I always wanted to, you know, keep the business going, having it run smoothly. Um, Safety was a big concern you know, in the body shop business. Mm -hmm. So there were different things that we would do little by little. But then um, a friend of mine came into the shop, very, very smart man. And he worked for my paint supplier. Now, obviously, the more successful I am, the more successful they are, the more product they sell. Right. His name was George came in and the building's pretty big it was 27,000 square feet and he was looking at my numbers and he said Mike would you mind if I stayed here for a couple of days and just observed I said George that would be great Mm -hmm. I'd love all your input at the end of the couple of days he said well you're doing about one-third of what you should be doing and that kind of blew me away one-third of the business of the business wow producing So I said, George, I'm writing estimates and taking cars two weeks in advance. Right. To you, it's like seemingly, how could I possibly take on more work? Right. How can I do more volume? And that's when this process started. So the process allowed you to triple the business. Yes, absolutely. So so what what was the process before this? And then let's talk about the process after you implemented it. Okay. Basically, old old style mentality. Um, like I said before, customer comes in, we don't disassemble the car, mm-hmm. we write the estimate, the customer leaves the car, then we take the car apart and we find all the additional damage. Right. So now we're doing we're estimating twice. Is that where the term or the phrase "peek under the hood" means? <laughs> I'm horrible with phrases. Okay, keep going. It's fascinating. I never even heard that one, but okay. <laughs> so never mind. Peek under the hood. I hope there's something there that you can see. Exactly. Um, yeah, so now you're estimating the car twice. Mm-hmm. Um, you may have already ordered some of the parts. Now you have to order the parts twice. You have to order more parts. Then you also have to explain to the customer mm. why the the car is going to be delayed a little bit, and the additional cost. Right. They're upset because you already gave them an estimate. And the insurance companies that are paying for it, they're paying for the rental for the customer, mm. and they're not happy either. Mm. And, of course, then we have to go to the insurance company and say, this is the additional damage, so on and so forth. 
So the old way was we'd write the estimate, bring the car in, tear it down, rewrite the estimate, call a customer, move the car, or actually leave the car inside the body shop, wait for the parts, the technician would start the repair, but now the technician would start the repair on that, he could go no further. So he'd have to move to another car and start that. Ah, uh, right, because all the costs weren't approved at that point. Right, and all the additional things that have to happen. Um, that was like one something that we say is like it's a roadblock. It's, it's the thing that's causing yes. you to not be able to proceed. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, and that went on throughout the whole shop, whether it was paint department, uh, detail parts ordering, parts accepting. In other words, we were just talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, we were just talking about how you would estimate the car, po- possibly order the parts, tear the car down, order parts again. That's double the work. Yeah, right. So my parts guy is checking in two orders instead of one. The girl who's entering the parts inventory into our computer system is doing it twice. Hmm. The person writing the check is doing it twice. Wow. And that's on a very simple repair. Right, and it's and it's sustainable at that point until a certain point. Right. So it's like, did it feel like a lot of pressure on the system at that time? Because like how you were just, the look that you gave me when you're like, I we're booking cars two, two, two weeks, weeks in advance. It seems unfathomable to take on more because it feels like you're exploding at the seams already. Right. What George explained to me was that my technician, my body shop technician, might have three or four cars in his stall that he can't finish because of parts or insurance company delays because they have to come down and view it. Or there's a whole host of things that delay the job. So the cars just sit there. So George's philosophy was no tech can work on more than one car at a time. And he's absolutely right. There's no way you could work on two cars. Physically, you can't do it. You have two hands, two legs. Hmm. So his, what this Toyota lean process um, explained was that it starts in the very beginning with the blueprint of where that car is going, mm-hmm. what parts are going to be ordered, thoroughly estimating the vehicle, getting it torn down, moving it out of the tech stall because he can't do anything with it until the parts are there. Hmm. So he shouldn't even be able to see it, let alone work on it, until it's ready for him. Well, he's the person that tore it down. Uh, I'll get to that. So now we change the whole estimating process. It's called blueprinting. Okay. And basically what that means is that now the customer brings the car to us. We explain the process to the customer saying, we're going to tear the car down, get you an estimate, share it with the insurance company, and order all the parts. And that's what we would do. We were what you would call a direct repair for a lot of insurance companies. you know. So we had the authorization to bring the car in, tear it completely down. Wow. Which requires a lot of trust from that partner, or those partners, the yes. insurance companies. You have their checkbook right. in your hand. So and the car. <laughs> torn in pieces. And the car. <laughs> and the car, that, that thing. Um, but again, that, so 
now you're estimating and you're giving the customer a final estimate, basically. You so know, your first estimate is your final. Is basically your, your, your final. I mean, mm. there could be variations. There, you know, uh, little things that we may have missed, but basically, it's very it's close to 100 percent than it's ever been before, mm. because you're actually taking the car apart. You're seeing all the damage. Yeah. We had. You're not just guessing. Right. We implemented mm. uh, mobile estimating services. So now. My estimator didn't have to go out and look at the car and go, okay, I need a fender, and then walk inside and put it in his computer. He always missed something. They would always miss something. So now you're standing at the car with the technicians that's going to repair it and all the damaged parts right in front of you, and you're just typing it into the computer. Mm. You take that, you give it to the parts person. He has a detailed list of all the parts. He orders all the parts. Now... A lot of times, the part houses would want to deliver half an order because they make commission on whatever they're getting out of their hands, you might right. say. We put an end to that because we still can't repair the car until all the parts hit. So why is my, I'm going to put my part guy through all the extra work of checking in parts two, three, four times for a single car? And that whole process where you got to input it in, into the computer, yeah. so on and so forth. So it's really just a lot, a lot of organization. Seems like a lot of little things that add up to be That's exactly monumental right. amounts of time. Amounts of time, yes. A lot of wasted time. And that's yeah. what you want to try to eliminate. You want to try to eliminate the waste. So that's the hardest part is like when you're in the sea of everyday overwhelming tasks and I just got to power through this thing and this thing and this thing. You can't see that you can't see the big picture yeah. unless you stop and listen and reflect and ask questions. Absolutely. And get another perspective. Absolutely. You got to step away. Do you feel like you would have been able to... Like, say you learned about Six Sigma on your own, right? Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you would have trusted it enough to really just completely change your operations? Or was it the right uh, process mentality paired with the right referral from your trusted person that was, was the reason? It was a combination of both. I, once I saw the process of Six Sigma, um, I was immediately, you know on board. Yeah. I loved being organized. And Allison, there was no way that I was going in the next day and changing the way my operation ran. Yeah. It right. was impossible. Right. So and that was one of the other things George helped me with. We did things little by little by little. Um, the first thing I really did was I started to buy some equipment that would make the tech's job easier, like the mobile estimating system. Mm. Um, we got part cards. So now all the parts that are damaged and all the new parts that are going on the vehicle are on one card. Hmm. Um, we started labeling the vehicles, RO numbers, repair orders. Mm -hmm. Customer name was very important. The tech saw the customer's name because if the customer ever came to see their vehicle, you'd want to say, hi, Mrs. Jones. Right. Okay. Right. It creates that full circle customer experience. Right. Uh, we would mark the date the car came in and the date it was expected to leave. Mm. So when the production manager walked around, he saw the dates on the cars, he could s just go and say, how come this car isn't on time? Why is this car delayed? 
Oh, so okay. there was someone making rounds. Oh, making there's a sure production manager. Yes. Ah, okay. Yes. Um, that... And so was part of their job. Um, it's like one one thing we say when we roll out a new process, and it's like it's not meant to sound as like doom and gloom, but we say like policing the process. Like, how do you make sure that the process gets a chance? Like, we give the process a chance to take hold before right. you say, oh, this doesn't work. It's right. like, is anybody trying it? Or is it that it's just completely broken to begin with? You hit on a very important, probably the first thing before I made the first purchase to improve the shop, I sat all my employees down. Hmm. You have to have employee buy-in. Yeah. You have to. Because it, like it if, affects their day-to-day. If they're not buying into the process, it's not going to work. But there's a fine line in leadership, because I agree with you, and you also were already convinced that this is something that you have to do. So what I find challenging is like when you know that you have to do something to change like the big picture of the organization, it might be painful on the day-to-day for those people. You still need to make sure that you hear them and you listen to them, but this is still the direction we're going in. And that's one of the philosophies that they talk about as well. Oh, that's interesting. Yes. So what's their perspective on that? I'm um, actually... I'll read it to you because it was very, very interesting. But when I was talking with my employees, I had to keep in mind that it wasn't just me that was benefiting. I wanted it to benefit them. I wanted it to be a cleaner atmosphere, a safer atmosphere, a more uh, casual atmosphere. I I didn't want them to feel more pressure. Hmm. Because we were filling the, the, the yard up with cars, so I made it. I made their job easier by implementing all these what I call SOPs. And it sounds very procedures. like more focused too. It's, ve- that's it's like they don't have to worry about what they don't have to worry about. Yes, yes. And I think sometimes people crave more information than they really want or need. So yeah. like there's a lot of there, there, there's a lot of people who are like I need to know about this I need to I need to see what's happening in my future plate and they they can't process it they can't conceptualize how to stay involved in that when I have a whole mountain of to dos for today. Yeah, this is one, this is there's actually 14 steps. Okay. To six six sigma, um, but this one it says grow leaders who live the philosophy. Egos have no place in the Toyota Six Sigma. Decisions are made by higher-ups with customer and employee feedback since these are the stakeholders. Hmm. Right. So It's an influence yeah. and it's input. And at the end of the day, there still has to be a decision maker. So what was your role? Um, so now, now you've implemented Six Sigma. What was your role after that? Like hearing the employees, hearing the customers, like how did you know when it was the right decision? You have to reflect every day. There's always some way to improve some process. And in helping the technicians, the writers, the office personnel do their, get their job done easier, that created a completely different atmosphere. Right. You know, it was much more family. There was no egos. Everybody, you look over, and technicians usually worked on a commission basis. So when they finished their job, 
that's when you know they can move on to the next and, and continue to make money. It was very separate before I implemented this. After I implemented it, I'd see technicians helping each other, mm. bringing parts over that were a little bit too heavy, so on and so forth. Um, they'd be talking, they'd be laughing, they'd be carrying on. Because the, it wasn't, repairing cars can be very difficult. Right. Just like anything. Right. Um, it's a specialty trade. Yeah. And if you're focused on repairing this Toyota, then you've got this Buick that's sitting right next to it that's all torn apart, too. Then you've got the Cadillac next to it. Then you've got the Ford Mustang that's after Right, and that. the parts look extremely similar, I'm imagining. And you have to remember where you left off. Yeah. Did I plug this in? Did I tighten that hose clamp? I'm, I'm honestly like reflecting on my to-do list of all the things that I have a mo- of in foot. And that's exactly what you have to do when you break your focus on something. Yeah. And you switch gears. You're like, okay, there's a whole layer of like 10, 15 minutes where you're just getting your bearings again. Add that up. Yeah. Add up all that time. Yeah. And you then know? multiply that by the size of your organization. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So what did you do when... Um, the process wasn't being followed to the standard that you set forth. How did you handle it? You have to adjust. You have to adjust. Like one of the things I did um, to find what we used to call bottlenecks in the shop. And a bottleneck would be where either I was overwhelming my part department or if I was overwhelming my office staff or whatever. So what I, I didn't develop it. Six right, Sigma right. developed it. Um, is this huge board, and it goes on the wall, and whenever there was a delay in the process, you'd write down what the delay was. Attach it to a name. N- no. Or just the the point of the process. Just that the failed. point of the process. In other words, it wasn't that Bill didn't get the car right. done fast enough. It was part ordered late because we missed it. Um, mismatch, uh, the color doesn't match, so we have to repaint it. And all these things, and then you just oh, sit, cool. sit back and you look at the board. Oh, I love and that. And you see. You can visualize The it. pattern. Yeah, like, because you don't remember what's happening. I mean, uh, the flurry of activity that right. happens in a business every right. single hour, let alone every single week. Exactly. Is impossible to reflect on unless you can see it. Exactly. That is such a cool tactic. Yeah, so. And then you start to eliminate them little by little, you know. Perhaps uh, you weren't getting the parts from Buick fast enough. You change the dealership. You go to another dealership. So mm-hmm. you get the parts a little bit quicker. Or you can hold them accountable and say, hey, we noticed this problem three times, these specific <coughs> times, right? Like your, yes. your standard of that partnership is higher, right. so they want to work with you more. And as we implemented the system and we started to do much more business, the part houses were much more accommodating. You know, they go to another dealership to pick up the part that I need and bring it to me. Mm. So, um, which in turn gets the customer's car to them faster. Done. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And when the customer's happy, which is first and foremost, then everybody down from there is also happy. The insurance company's happy that the customer was happy. We're happy we satisfied the customer. No customers, no jobs, right? No business. So true. So, um, yeah, this was a very exciting time for me. Uh, as you know, I was an ICAR instructor for a lot of years. Mm-hmm. And ICAR came out with this class. 
and it was one of my favorites to teach. It just really was. When I looked at the Why students, was it, your favorite? it changed the most. You know, uh, ICAR has classes on how to repair vehicles correctly. Right. Okay. Um, and vehicles change all the time, so that's why they had so many classes. But this class, you know, body men, painters, um, owners, they all feel very confident in what they know. So it's hard to get through to them sometimes about, you know, try this instead of that. But this class, they would just sit there and just stare at me and like, oh, my God, I can't believe that. That's so simple. It's so simple. So simple, and yet it really works. It really works. And so it's transformational not only for the business, for, but for all of those people. And say they pick up and go elsewhere, they go to another body shop, or they start their own someday. You've, you've instilled a principle in them that now right. they can't not see it. Right. Now I can't not think about where I'm going to put that board. <laughs> oh, I'm glad. You just said. That's good. That's good. I'm glad you got something. But as a leader... I mean, I think it's it's our jobs to make sure that we're constantly, like you said, reflecting on our styles, the processes, the operations we put in place, and just keep questioning status quo. Yes. Keep questioning whether or not there's a better way, a more efficient way, a, a thing that will give people time and joy back. Yeah. Because it's so necessary, especially When you today. like coming to work, there's nothing really better than that. It, it, what's that saying? Uh, if you like what you do, you don't work a day in your life. And that's so true. Every single one of my employees had keys. I would be in at 6.30, 7 o'clock. There'd be people there before me. They'd be working Saturdays and Sundays because they loved it. They just loved what they They did. They also adored you. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. That's very sweet. Thank you so much for talking to me today. So insightful. It was my pleasure, Allison. Thank you for having me.